at the root of any struggle to truly be generous is ultimately a lack of faith. Mm. And so if you're struggling to be generous, the problem isn't a a question of generosity. The problem is a question of faith, that you have lost sight of the identity of your father in heaven. Welcome to the Generous Business Owner Podcast, where business owners gain inspiration and encouragement to live a legacy, not just leave one. And now your hosts, Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt. Welcome, everybody, to the Generous Business Owner Podcast. My name is Jeff Thomas, one of the co-hosts, and we have a very special guest with us today, Randy Walton. Uh, Randy, thanks for being on the program. Jeff, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. So just a, we always do just a brief intro. Randy is a speaker, consultant, leadership expert, I would add author, uh, who's been advising leaders and executive teams for over 25 years. I mean, he gives advice. Uh, we were just talking offline. He gives advice for a living. So this is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I know he's got a million stories to tell. And Randy, we usually just jump in uh, by just talking about where you grew up, what your family was like, that kind of stuff, just for some background. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I grew up, uh, grew up in Daytona Beach, Florida. Actually born in Daytona Beach, Florida. So not a lot of native Floridians these days, it, it seems like, but I was actually, uh, came by it honestly. And kind of... Uh, a very traditional sort of upbringing in home life. My, my dad, he worked for the phone company and started off, drove a truck, and then later was uh, moved into some management roles. And mom was there full time with us. And I was the middle of three boys. And it was, uh, you know, sort of the, the, I don't know, stereotypical upbringing. Uh, played outside till the streetlight came on, kickball and uh, sports and riding our bikes everywhere and all this sort of, you know, very, very kind of traditional sort of upbringing, I guess you'd say. Not a lot of not a lot of drama, that sort of thing. So very blessed in that regard. I don't know. There was probably a little bit of uh, there's probably a little bit of drama between uh, three boys, though. And uh, you being in the middle, does that make you the peacemaker? What what is the stereotypical middle child uh, personality, and are you that? You know, that's a that's a funny question because raised a few kids myself, yeah. and uh, you do ask that question, right? Right, peacemaker. I'm probably a little bit of hybrid. I think they, they, I'm only 13 months younger than my older brother. And so they were close enough that in some ways it was a little bit of a flip where I was a little bit more first childlike. But yeah, I think I did learn a certain amount of how to, how to be the diplomat. But I, I, at the same time, I was pretty good at talking myself into trouble. And uh, maybe I learned uh, how to be a consultant by talking myself out of it after the fact. But <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting question. I, I haven't really thought too much about it for myself. I thought about yeah, it yeah. more when we were raising our kids. How many kids do you have? I have three. Okay, three so months. now, so how do you think about your middle? She was, you know, I wouldn't have said she was the peacemaker, but I would say that she would definitely was probably the most adaptive. Right. She had that ability to sort of figure out how to fit into the roles and, and do things. And, and you know, I, I hadn't really thought about it, but now that I think about it, it's probably what happened to me. Yeah. Um, you learn to be adaptive and that's a good skill as a consultant, uh, cause that's your whole life is figuring out how to, to sort of mesh into other places that aren't yours. So, so now, uh, what, what happens after high school? Where do you, where do you head off to? Went to Stetson university down in the land, Florida, great little school, had a spectacular experience. I really enjoyed it. Thought I was going to be a doctor, was always interested in medicine, but you know, I was, Paying my way through college, medical school seemed impossible. So 
kind of pivoted after a couple of years and said, well, how can I get out of here on time? And a uh, business degree satisfied that. And I jumped in and really, uh, I look back now and think how providential that was that, and I was going to this path thinking medicine because I was, I did enjoy it and I was very into it, but, but business is a much more creative platform for me. And I think a place that I got to do a lot more that, you know, I look, I look at it now and think I'm very happy that I ended up here. Right. By compare. So had a great experience there. I met my wife when I was in college. Okay. After I was in Dayton school and got married a few years after. And, uh, it was, uh, I, I was very fortunate. I ended up in a really good place and made some great life hard friends. Yeah, that's fantastic. So, okay, so what's the first job out of college? Well, it was, I'd love to tell you a great story about this wonderful job that I got, but I didn't. I, uh, you know, being transparent, I, I, I was a good student, very successful, if you wanted to call it that, in terms of like campus leadership and lots of different things like that. But underneath that, I was very lacking in confidence and, and a bit insecure about going into the business world. So, I sort of jumped on the first job I got, and I got a job in sales with a telecommunications company and moved to Orlando, Florida, and a buddy that had gone to work there, and he introduced me, and I don't know what I wanted to do at that point, but I landed in a job that was just miserable. Walked in, they handed me a phone book, and they said, start calling people, and I said, what am I selling them? And they're like, well, you'll figure it out. And uh, it wasn't far off this. I didn't have a great experience, and I I really, uh, I, I quickly pivoted and got a little smarter in terms of thinking about what I wanted to do. And I think one of the things I realized is I needed a lot of, I needed a lot of foundational knowledge of business that I just didn't have and got connected in with uh, what was a big commercial bank down in Florida at the time, Barnett Bank, and got hired by them. And that led me into doing a lot of corporate banking work. That was an invaluable education. I think at that stage of my career, just to understand how the financial side of the business world sort of powers and manages what happens. Uh, I think it was just indispensable knowledge and then learning how to navigate in the professional world. You know, bankers, somewhat of a serious job. You have to learn how to, you know, mix at a social event and things that I just had never really grown up doing. So I had a great experience there and got caught up in the, I got caught up in the real estate crash in the late eighties down in Florida. And uh, like many people at the time of the banking world, I was laid off and didn't really have a good sense of what I wanted to do. And again, just kind of happenstance, I knew somebody and I got introduced into the computer industry and I went to work at NCR. Hmm. And uh, that's when things really started to, to, to gel. Big company, a lot of different things that you get to do there. And they kind of gave me a lot of latitude at a very young age. Just sort of dumped me in there and said, hey, uh, we're going to put you into finance. And then we're going to put you into an operations role. And I got, I got jumped around into a lot of different things, sort of fast track through some things that I think now I would probably say I'm kind of a jack of all trades, master of none sort of person, but it's because I've sat in sales. I've been in marketing functions. I've been in finance. I've been in operations. I've been in technology. And that was really a great experience to sort of see not just how they work, but how they work with each other, you know, kind of how all these interdependencies operated. And uh, last job I had there, I was in a, um, was a regional CIO, had a pretty big sweep of responsibility and people and these things at a very young age and didn't really see a path. I didn't really look out into the future and say, gosh, I want to be like the people ahead of me. I don't know where this is taking me and sort of opened myself up to, to making a change and was uh, recruited to come to Atlanta 
and join a technology company here. It's a Microsoft partner company and take a job as a CIO in that smaller growing organization and be an entrepreneur, see how that would work. So, and I'm thinking NCR. Now, when I think NCR, I'm thinking ATM machines. It, it's probably a lot more than that, right? Quite a bit more. A, ATMs is a very obvious thing that people know, yeah. but retail, point of sale, scanners yeah, in grocery stores and big mainframe systems. And, you know, there was a litany of different things that NCR um, did at time. Yeah, but I'm seeing, so I'm sort of seeing this arc from, I, I, probably not a mistake. I mean, anybody here you talking could could figure out you could probably sell, okay, anything just by your communication skills. So it's probably not that surprising that that was your first job. And also not that surprising that you didn't love it. I mean, most people don't love the first thing, right? You know what I mean? Out of the chute. And of course, that's something we try to talk about on this podcast anyway, is like, it's never all up and to the right anyway. There's other, I don't there are other setbacks along the way. So I'm, I'm glad you shared some of those kind of struggles right out of the box and the insecurities and all that. But then the NCR, that, that's really interesting. How many years total were you at NCR? I was there for eight and a half years. Okay. So that's a solid run. And then, so, but they, but you ended with a CIO job. So they sort of probably get you, you know, you're sort of a sales banking, kind of put you the finance role. And then, but when I think CIO, I think more technology. Well, the, the last role that I had, when I was at NCR, I had uh, just in the process, you know, there's the emergence of technology was sort of yeah. coming into the marketplace in ways that had never existed, right? We'd gone from sort of green screens into, you know, cloud server computing and yeah. things. I had a lot of the the responsibility for things that started to land on me and I was just pretty good with it. So right. uh, that led to me taking a role where I was a regional CIO for NCR. Okay. And so I had a lot of responsibility in terms of being responsible for technology infrastructure. So that was a natural transition to go out to another company into a CIO job. But the, the, maybe the secret of all that, and it just, it was, it, so this is going to sound self-aggrandizing, but I think one of the things that people would have always said about me at that time was, hey, you're a technology guy, but you don't talk like a technology guy. Right. You sort of speak the language of business. You understand how we think and make decisions. And I never really thought of myself as a pure technologist. I don't know how to program anything. Right, right. And so I, I landed in a role and re really within about, 12, 18 months, it just, I was just sort of chafing at the bed. I, I felt a little bit constrained, you know, yeah. at being in leadership meetings and sort of people wanted my opinion around our technical infrastructure and technology, but they didn't really want me to speak into corporate strategy or how we were positioning ourselves in the market or what our product mix was. And I was interested in all of those conversations and, you know, I was having a little trouble staying in my lane, candidly. <laughs> and uh, it just came to be very self-evident that I needed to go do something else, but I didn't know what that was. And uh, so this Microsoft partner cut business comes along, right? But you mentioned yeah. that was entrepreneurial. So what what was going on? How big a opportunity was that? Were you running that? What what did that look like? Well, no, this was where I was a CIO in that job. Yeah, and so I was I was helping with the strategic direction of the company, but you know clearly I was working with a, a leader who was CEO and, and founder, and um, it wasn't a large company. It was 70 employees, uh, very high quality uh, technology organization that was implementing some of the very first and most aggressive versions of email platforms, Right, uh, things that you know, we all take for granted today. We were really on the bleeding edge of a lot of that for some very, very large companies, but it was, uh, you know, it was, it was just a smaller organization than I was accustomed to didn't have the same complexities. And I'd learned how to navigate in a big environment and sort of understood 
kind of do that when there's, you know, there's five of us in a room and we get to make all the decisions. It doesn't quite work the same way. But I had a great experience there. I uh, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about what not to do, even on my side. You know, it was it was important. I had to be a good follower in that environment, and I was chafing and I think sort of wanting to lead things in my own direction, and that wasn't healthy for the organization. And so. Uh, I think I overstepped a few times. It just came, it became very obvious to me to, to look at it and say, this isn't, I'm not adding the right value here and I'm not happy here. I'm, I'm not, I've got a, I think I had to learn at that point, you know, this question that you always have to ask, which is I'm here and I'm placed under the authority of these leaders, of this leader inside the organization. I was reporting to the CEO. And if I'm going to choose to pull myself from out of that authority, right? What I'm saying is I can't stay here. Right. Either I have to sit under that authority and respect that authority, or I can't stay. And I mean, in, in many ways, that's a bigger, more fundamental question we all have to sort of answer for ourselves, which is, am I, am I willing to sit under any authority in life? And I think when it came to the point where the problem wasn't with that person in authority, the problem was with me, and I have to go and figure out sort of what I want to do, and this isn't, this isn't the fit. My wife, our, we just had our third child, and this was the worst possible time you can think to to go start your own business. But I decided to hang out a shingle and, and go be a consultant with no no idea whatsoever what that meant. So how so when you started your own business, I mean how, how many years total? You said what was it, eight eight plus at NCR? Yeah, I was probably uh, I want to say I was maybe about thirty two yeah. at the time. So you did a couple of more years. You did a couple more years with this Microsoft partner. Is that right? I did. I did. And then so it was smaller, right? NCR. I'm thinking big. Okay. Yeah. Then uh, then I'm thinking, uh, you know, we got the 70 person deal, but you're still having the same kind of issue, right? Where you're not able to maybe speak into everything. Is it? Am I getting it right? Yeah. Yeah. I just I'm I'm a very global kind of right. Very macro in the way I see the world. Yeah. 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 You know, I have to watch that, and I'm kind of the guy that. You want, you know, if you ask me for the time, I want to talk about the concept of time and, you know, it, nonsense, right? So I have to really sort of hone in. And, but yeah, it was a great, it was a great place to, to cultivate a view from a different level uh, at the entrepreneurial level of a smaller company and sort of understand the, the stresses and strains of what makes that happen, which was, was, was also very useful. And, okay. So now you're, 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 you're still pretty young and starting a consulting business. What was your pitch? You know, what, what was the kind of the business idea? Like, what were you going to sell people? How were you going to get uh, uh, gigs? And what, what, what was your uh, product, if you will? Yeah, well, I'm embarrassed to say this now. Uh, <laughs> it was so naive at the time. But I really had the idea that I was going to go be a virtual CIO. I was going to find small mm-hmm. mid-market companies that didn't really understand sort of the intersection of technology to business. And I could be that guy. I wasn't the, I'm going to tell you how to program systems or write software, but I am here to to help you identify how to get value from technology so that it advances your strategic objectives as a, as a business, right? That was, that, that was the pitch. And it landed well. I mean, I, I, I went right out the door and within the first two weeks of sort of hanging out of shingle, I had a couple of big clients and uh, stayed busy for several years. And it was, it was fantastic. I think what, the quick realization that I came to is that as I was getting involved in these companies and I'm saying, hey, let's talk about what you're trying to do with technology, it... I was less interested in that than, well, we can't answer the technology problem because you have a strategic direction problem or because you have a cultural problem within your leadership team or because you have 
a thousand other different things. And so I was so consumed with the fact that, well, that problem over there is really what's driving this problem here that I just kept sort of putting my toes into all these other areas of the business. And then very quickly, just without any deliberate thought on my part, it just morphed into, I'm really a strategic consultant to these organizations around these larger questions that they had. And I sort of dropped any communication or language that even focused on technology as a conversation and, and just focused on helping companies solve complex strategic issues. So this is, I think this is a kind of a neat art as you're telling the story, like the pieces start falling together for me at least. And I'm sure everybody listening where it's like, I mean, you only, I mean, as self as aware, as self-aware as we can be coming out of college, which I mean, for most people is limited. I mean, you only have so much experience. All right. You get the first jobs, you sort of figure out like, wait, not everybody thinks like I do. And it can be a problem in the job that you're supposed to do, but then you keep sort of expanding, you know, one step out. Okay. Let me, okay. Sales, not just sales, finance. Okay. Well, not just finance, the CIO, but I'm seeing all these other issues. Okay. I'll be an outsourced CIO so I could do it for multiple people. So I'm not limited to just one. Wait, I still have to see these other areas. All right. You know what? Let me just be a full-blown consultant and, and talk about all the strategy. Cause it seems like maybe your gift is finding what the big issue is that turns the crank instead of maybe the little things that people tend to play with in the corner. Is that a fair assessment or how would you? Yeah, I think, I think I'm a pretty good diagnostician. Yeah, there you go. Sort of, you know, removing myself and, and, and bringing some level of objectivity and, and being able to see enough of the detail to, to, to pick up a pattern and a signal of the noise sort of thing. So yeah, it just, it felt very natural for me to do that. But, you know, you, you made an interesting statement earlier, which was, you know, people don't think like me. I, didn't see that as a positive thing. Right. I mean, I was like, but, but what's wrong with me? I don't, right. you know, everybody wants to talk about this. You know, they're over here like fixated on this little small object. In right. The and I'm over here saying, well, what about all these other things? And then everybody kind of looks at me like I have two heads. And I did have a mentor at that, at that point that uh, said, listen, it not a, doesn't take a genius to figure out how or what the problem is. And maybe even how to solve it. The genius is in getting people to listen yeah. to opinion. Mm. And that landed really, really heavily with me. I, I just thought, gosh, I've got to cultivate an ability to communicate and influence for the benefit of the people I'm trying to influence. And I'm not doing it very well because, you know, things that I'm saying and the way I'm communicating, the way I express myself or how I think and see the world seems very, very obvious to me, but they're not seeing it through the same lens. And and that honestly was the was sort of where the next sort of crisis in my life came was I worked with these clients, I had great success with these clients, wonderful projects, and they ended and I landed a, another huge agreement with a company in Birmingham and I was excited to get started with that. And uh, I was literally driving the morning of September eleventh, two thousand one. I was in my car driving to uh pick up uh someone I brought in to be a partner in the deal and you know, heard the news about the tragedy in New York. And so, you know, that trip didn't happen. It was, you know, period of great uncertainty that control that consulting engagement never happened. You know, the world sort of fell apart and I went a very long period of time where I didn't, I didn't make any money. I didn't, you know, I have been fortunate to, to be very successful up to that point. I had some resources, but you know, a year and a half, I'm starting to burn through the, the margin in life and, and got to a point of, of really being pretty desperate. I've got, you know, a wife, I got three kids, I've got responsibilities and 
and I'm, I can't pay the rent. I mean, I can't pay my mortgage. This is nine eleven oh one. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. And so into O two, the beginning of O three was just horrible. And I really had just humbled myself and I thought, well, I can do something. And I happened to talk to someone one day who said, Hey, I need a website. So, well, I had to build a website for myself. And I thought, well, how hard could it be? So I went to the bookstore and I bought a book on writing HTML and, and building websites. And I built one for myself and I showed it to them and they said, Wow, this is great. Can you build one for our law firm? <laughs> and, you know, I thought, sure. And he said, Well, how much? And I threw out a number that just seemed like egregious and ridiculous. And I said, Yes. So I did that. And so for about nine months, I just did web development and literally would have to read the manual to do every little thing I was going to do. But somehow I managed to live through and just, it was just a, it was a game of survival. It was a game of just keeping the lights on and feeding the family and I mean, not losing. I think this is actually an important lesson because there's somebody out there having that problem right now, listening to this, you know, right. where things are not going the way they had dreamed in their head. And, uh, it's funny. I, I, I had lunch with one of our, uh, interns at Arcos today and, uh, his dad's an entrepreneur and, and friend of ours. And, and, uh, he said, you know, everybody sort of, uh, uh, dr- you know, dr- thinks about the success that some entrepreneurs have and they don't think about the struggle. He goes, I remember when we didn't have any, uh, furniture in our house and things were not going, but you know what I mean? It's not all a panacea that I don't think I know an entrepreneur who hasn't had a meaningful setback along the way at some point. So how did you kind of dig out of that hole? I mean, one foot at the time, you know, one foot in front of the other, it sounds like, but, but then it sounded like obviously it built over time. So what was well, I think I, I'm going to add another wrinkle in here for you, uh, because in the middle of all this, I am struggling with just terrible, crippling anxiety and depression. Yeah. And I saw that as just, this is, I'm just freaking out because my circumstances. Right. What I did not realize at the time is that I actually was dealing with a physiological. Right. Panic anxiety disorder. And, uh, it got to the point where, you know, I would have said I was probably, I wouldn't say I was suicidal, but I wasn't far from that place because I couldn't get it to stop. And, you know, faith wasn't solving that problem for me. You know, I was praying and trusting and doing all these things. And it was, it was, a, it was a medical physiological problem. And when I finally yeah. was able to get help, wow. um, to see a counselor, to get on some antidepressants, it's not an exaggeration to say it saved my life. Wow. At the same time. I did. I think I did think I had kind of this this inherent worldview that I brought into every situation, which is it's not going to go well. It's not going to go my way. I'm going to have to be perfect. I can't make mistakes because anything I do that's wrong, it's going to fall apart, and the whole world is going to collapse around me. Which you take that, and you take somebody who's already physiologically predisposed to something, is a really bad combination. So, you know, the solution to that was really twofold. It was. I didn't have the choice. You know, I hear stories of people saying, well, I was depressed and I laid in bed for a year and a half. I didn't have that option. I had a wife that was home with three children and I had to get up. And I remember, yeah. I mean, I, I sat in meetings and, you know, in on the outside probably looked pretty calm and settled. And in the inside, I was just losing my mind. But I, I listen, I, I don't have a choice right now. I have to be here and I have to be present for this moment. And, uh, and really just sort of, Slowly was able to grind out of that. The the medication helped, the circumstances, and then some just gracious, generous people around me coming alongside and saying, "Hey, you, I know somebody that might need what you have." And probably not because that person's need was as great as my need to have a client, but I was able to to land in some places, and those engagements went well. And 
all of a sudden, you know, the, the flywheel starts turning and within a few years, I'm, you know, I, I land some, some, some major clients. I flew all over the world with a couple of them. I was, it was going back and forth to Europe twice a month, um, handling some, you know, really, really significant, you know, corporate restructure projects. I mean, I went from sort of this, you know, I'm sitting in rooms doing some really important things and I'm thinking to myself, if you only knew two years ago, I was building websites uh, <laughs> and not knowing how to do it. I mean, it was, it's, it's almost comical, the juxtaposition of these yeah. two places that, and you just realize, I thought, man, I didn't put myself here, right? I'm so fortunate to be here. I didn't put myself here. I, I, I'm just, I'm very blessed and I need to steward for whatever reasons I'm going to find myself in this place where I get to have a voice with people that are uh, doing important things and they've got a lot of responsibility in their life. And I thought I had two duties at that point. One is I've got to, I got to be transparent about myself and my circumstances. And then I've got to be willing to sort of speak honest truth to them. And I, I'll, I'll tell you a great story. I was, I was with a gentleman who had just taken a job as a CEO of a company who was out in St. Louis and flew to town to meet with him. And uh, he said, I, I just bought a new house. My family's not here yet. I got this brand new house. I want to show it off. Can you come over? And I'll open a bottle of wine and, and I want to give you the tour. I mean, he was just so excited to share his new house with me. And so we're walking around his beautiful place and sitting and having a glass of wine. And all of a sudden, I just got this incredibly strong feeling like, I got to tell this guy like the garbage of me be, being a depressed mess and all this. I was like, that's the last thing I want to do. <laughs> you know, this, he's paying me a lot of money to, to have it together. And I don't have it together and I need to tell him. And I thought, this is, this is, this is incredibly unwise. Don't do this. And I did. I couldn't look at him. And I just said, hey, I don't know why, but I feel very compelled to tell you this story. And I just couldn't even look at him. I sort of had my eyes averted. And I sort of told it all, the unvarnished, ugly mess of it. And I sort of got to a point of stopping and sat there for a second. And I looked over, he was silent. I looked over and he's just ugly crying. He's a mess. And he said, you just described me. That's where I am in my life right now. Wow. And I just decided at that point, I'm never going to be, I'm never going to be unwilling to just be that transparent and vulnerable with people. And I, I have learned. I mean, one of the things that I that that I gained out of going through that experience, and then you know, things rose up and they got great. We built a business, and I merged it with another business, and we sold it to Price Waterhouse in 2010. And you know, hallelujah, all kinds of good stuff, right? And and then I went out and started my own thing again because I can't not do it, I guess. But in the middle of all that, I I really learned that everybody that I've ever worked with in any company at any level, there's something. Everybody's carrying around this burden, this pain, this insecurity, this fear. And you know, the work that I get to do now, very often, if there's anything amazing about it, is that I sit with people and they, they tell me these things. And then they realize that, yeah, I'm, I'm also messed up. We're, yeah. we're all good. <laughs> and uh, I didn't have, you know, I... I didn't have money to give. I did. I couldn't be charitable in that season of my life because I didn't have any money. I was barely, you know, keeping the lights on. So I just would give time and give mentoring and give one-on-one, and you know, sometimes just volunteer myself to even consult people at no charge because they couldn't afford it because they were in a place of desperation. And you know, that's a form of of generosity. I think we need to consider, which is, you know, if you're blessed with an abundance of uh, of finances. You can put that to work to do amazing things. 
for the people around you, whether that's in your company or outside or in other places. If you're blessed with a, an abundance of struggle, <laughs> oddly enough, you can put that to work. I mean, kind of, kind of, we're kind of supposed to put it all to work. And it was very, it was awkward. I mean, it's, there've been times I've shared that and people kind of looked at me like, yeah, I don't think I'd have told that story, but I, I'm not, I don't, I just don't think that's something to hold back because I can't tell you the number of people and people, um, some significance, people that are very publicly known figures that I've gotten to work with that, you know, in the privacy of, of conversations have been very transparent to admit to. A, a litany of struggles, whether struggles with family, struggles in marriages, struggles in health, struggles in you know their their emotional state or the state of their business, or you know a thousand other things. And so, you know, my job is I'm not a therapist, but my job is a lot about really helping connect with people and helping them to sort through the complexities of their current situation so that they can get where they really want to get. You know, you know what strikes me, uh, Randy, in this is it just sort of hit me. You use the word transparency, and I was thinking, you know, I pulled out my little uh, a buddy of mine made this for me as a turtle on a fence post. You were saying, you know, one month you're making a website, and the next month you're flying to Europe to do a restructuring. You know, and nobody gets there on their own. I always get that because I'm like, no, but none of us get there on our own. You're a consultant, yeah. so like yeah. you're always trying to, you know, as a, you're you're selling basically a team, but uh, you know. Do you think it's helpful? This word transparency is just ringing in my ears right now. Mm -hmm. By you being transparent about your own life issues, I mean, can we really solve any problem if we're not just transparent about what the problem is? Like, if you don't want to admit weakness in your personal life, do you want to admit weakness at work? Sometimes, you know what I mean? Like, it seems like maybe that helps you unlock getting down to the root problem, maybe even in corporations, because it's just, what are companies? They're just made up of people anyway. I mean, it, are, are those things connected somehow for you? Yeah, absolutely. I love the question. Yeah. I mean, part of it's attached to our worldview, right? If my worldview is that other people are my adversaries and I treat, right. you know, difficulty and stress and adversity, and I treat all these things as threats rather than opportunities to solve problems, right? Then I am going to perceive everything is, you know, the worst thing that I could possibly do is be transparent about anything that feels like weakness on my side, because you're going to use it to your advantage against. And I think a lot of us walk through the world with that perspective in mind, right? That everything's a threat, everything's fear, and I got to get mine while I can get it. And it's really only when we kind of get to that point where I just kind of rip the band out and say, hey, I'm just going to let go, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my faith in a bigger idea, which is that belief that at the heart of people is a desire to actually experience things that are real. And people don't look at you with the same perfectionistic expectations you look at yourself. And so can I just be transparent? Can I just be vulnerable with you? And in doing so, you actually learn to trust me. You know, I've heard it said that the person who best describes reality without emotion wins. Wins is probably the wrong word, but a lot of what I do when I think about the responsibility that I carry when I'm working with a group, my job is just to describe reality. My job is just to come in and say, you know, the unvarnished reality of your situation is this. I know you hold on to this hope, and it might be the hope that that my wayward child is going to come back and take over my company and run it for me in the future, or the hope that 
this Hail Mary pass, I'm going to land this deal that's going to be the salvation of our business, even though you know it's not realistic for that to happen. And by the way, I've seen amazing, miraculous things happen where those, those things came through. But sometimes it's just for us to be real and say, hey, the way we're going to win is we're going to win by majoring on the majors. We're going to work the fundamentals of a business. We've got to think about the culture that we're creating. We've got to pe- think about the people that we're bringing in. We've got to think about the way we're treating the customers that we serve in the market. And if we're starting to do those things well, even the most mundane business can become incredibly impactful. And um, we can experience a different kind of success with what we do. And we, but we've got to, I mean, it's a, you're saying, I'm going to trust. I'm going to trust that if I put the right things out there, that the right things are going to sort of come back to me. And most people, and I'm going to say that, I mean, it sounds pretty cynical to make it that statement that way, but most people struggle to believe that that could be true. So, okay. So I have this picture of, you know, again, Obviously, this is the Generous Business Owner Podcast, and I like the way you describe uh, all these different ways of of being generous. You know, obviously, I kind of like this idea of where's your abundance, you know? Uh, uh, is, is it with money? Is it with time? Is it with advice? Is it with just sharing? I think a big one for you is sharing your own struggle and letting other people maybe have permission to share theirs. And then, by the way, I, I actually think it makes you better at your job because now you can, as you say, get to the root of the problem and, uh, you know, identify reality. So that's helpful for you to kind of get to that problem. And, and then when, like, if, if you have, you know, somebody, another guest of the podcast as a, as a client and they're like, you know, I'd like also to be more generous with my platform you know, what, what's kind of some of the advice that, that you give to some of your clients? Like, how do, how do they have a more positive giving attitude in their business? Yeah, it, it's interesting. I, I, I meet some that they're just extraordinary at it. They're just, yeah. it's like everything just exudes out of them, this natural desire just to, to sort of pay into the world to everything yeah. around them, whether it's with their money or, or, or whatever it might be. I see, I see them and I'm always amazed at them because it is so unique to experience people that are just sort of wired that way naturally. But what I found is that if you, if you sit with almost any business leader and you say, do you have a desire to be a generous person? Do you have a desire to pay into the world? The desire is absolutely there. I mean, the issue in our lives is not that we don't aspire to these things. It's that the things that we value, we think are important compete. They always do. I mean, I can say, I want a company that values honesty. I want a company that values family. I want a company that values lifestyle balance. I want a company that values getting results for our stakeholders, shareholders, right? And and every one of those things, when you, you might be interviewing somebody to come work at your company and you share that, no one's going to say, oh, you value excellence? That's not my thing. But you've hired plenty of people and at some point you've realized it's not their thing. The truth is it is. It's only their thing once they've satisfied other priorities or values in their life. Like I value my downtime. And so I'll be excellent, but only to the degree that doesn't interfere with that. Whereas you have other people that say, I value excellence to the degree that if it means I've got to pull an all-nighter in order to keep a commitment to somebody, I'll do whatever it takes. Right? We obviously don't want people to be in a position of having to do that. But I think when, when people start to think about, I want to be generous, I think you have to sort of come to grips with the idea that it's not a sacrifice you make once you have 
so much that you don't miss it. It's, it's a sacrifice you make when you don't have so much. But I believe, I believe that there's an eternal economy to that and that you really just can't outgive that. You, when, you're, when you're giving generously, when you give information to competitors in the marketplace, because you become friends with them and you say, hey, here's something you need to know, right? You might seem like you're sabotaging yourself, but you're building goodwill and currency and trust in the marketplace. You're, you're demonstrating something that's an internal character that starts to reflect in everything that you do. When you're generous towards your employees, that doesn't mean that you go and you grossly overpay people. That's not always a help to them. That can be very destructive to people. But it says that I have a spirit of generosity towards them so that I don't see their failures or their mistakes as things that steal from me. I see it as, well, this is just part of the process, right? It's part of us you know, caring about them. And if you believe that, what you find is that after you practice that for a while, all of a sudden, you start to sort of creates this gravity. And this gravity starts to pull all kinds of other generosity to you. People that come out of the, the woodwork that say, I want to help. For years, I believed in being a referrer. When I don't mean a passive referrer, if you came to me and said, you know, Randy, do you know somebody who can help me do X? Oh, yeah, I, yeah, I'll call that person. But to sit with someone and say, hey, I see a need here for you, and I know somebody that I really trust, yeah. I think I need to put you guys together, right? And I will tell you that overwhelmingly that you do that and nothing comes back directly. Right. But I've also been in business now for a long, long time, 25 years. And in 25 years, I don't see clients. The phone just rings. It just right. All of a sudden, someone calls me up and says, hey, I got your name. I heard about you. Or somebody said, I need to meet with you. And, and it just opens up this, this really interesting world. But it's not a, I, you don't put your coin in the slot and pull the lever and right. get a toy out of the bottom. I mean, you've got to sort of put it out there and really believe that as you put it out there, it, it has this ability to, to sort of shift. You know, one thing that also hit me as you were talking about that, I love that idea of like, it's a good business strategy actually to be generous and it will come back in a ways that you don't expect. So don't think it's a, right. you know, so, some kind of a uh, vending machine, you know, cosmic vending machine. But, but the other thing I like is, you know, we started this conversation by talking about God gave you this sort of weird ability to see the big problem in the room. And, uh, and one of the things that I, I like that you said, and that was, uh, if you don't prioritize it and I'm, I'm obviously restating it, but if you don't prioritize, it's not going to happen. So if you tell me you want to be generous and then we get into the business meeting and you got all these other things you're doing and there's nothing in there about behaving in a way that you said is a priority, that's a problem, right? So you have to prioritize it first and then, you know, uh, watch what happens. I mean, it's going to be pretty cool. Right. Yeah, it, it is. Well, like, so you hand out something that's kind of a fun experience that I'll oftentimes sit down with a company that I'm starting to work with for the first time, and they'll want to tell me, let us tell you a little bit about our values. Let us tell right, you right, right, exactly. Before you do that, why don't you let me just spend some time with your company and meet with some of your people, and then let me tell you what I think they are. Oh, that's so good. Before you read them, or you're yeah, told. Let me tell you, you yeah. want to talk about something that strikes fear in the heart of most people, they go, they go, oh, well, you, 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 you're <laughs> working on these. We're working on them. Right, right, right. They're aspirational. They're aspirational. And I'm like, I'm not coming in here to tear you down. Right, right, right. right. I am trying to reflect with, to you in a way that's sort of independent of your own aspirational desires or the way you want to see yourself through the best lens. Oh, good. To say, hey, if objectively, I as an outsider might see it that way, what are your, what are your partners and customers and vendors and employees and what does the community think about you if 
I get this impression, do they also see the same? That's awesome. This, I think that's a perfect segue into, uh, as we sort of wrap up our time, you know, the, we, you and I were talking before we started recording about it. It's just, it's just like you and I having lunch here and uh, I'm asking you a bunch of questions and then our friends get to uh, be blessed by the conversation. But we're just a couple of business people talking about this thing and trying to be, get better at using our platform for generosity and encourage other people to do the same. And we don't have all the answers, but, you know, what's just some practical tip you would leave uh, the listeners with to give a little something maybe behind uh, you on the path? Uh, that a little something they could wake up and try to do tomorrow to to get a little better at leveraging their platform in a, in a generous way. Yeah. So like a bunch of things popped into my head yeah. once. I'll give you one sort of big picture and I'm going to give you one practice. Perfect. The big picture is sort of the philosophical point, which is simply this. Uh, at the root of any struggle to truly be generous is ultimately a lack of faith. Mm. And so if you're struggling to be generous, the problem is that it a question of generosity. The problem is a question of faith Ooh. that you have lost sight of the identity of your father in heaven from yeah. my point of view, that th that's really the root of the problem, right? This is the, this is what you need to go wrestle with. And that's who you need to go wrestle with. You need to sit in front of God and you've got to wrestle with that question there. That's the place to answer that. But I think that there's a small step of generosity that a person can take that isn't just an economic step that is really interesting in that it does pay a pretty immediate dividend. And I think it hits on, it hits at the heart of a challenge that we are experiencing in a broader cultural sense right now. And it's simply this, mentor somebody. Mm. Just mentor somebody. And people will say, well, gosh, I don't know how to do that. No, I know. You, so what? Don't, okay, if you don't know how to do it, then do it badly until you can do it well. But do it. Because Maybe the the most powerful thing that has helped shape and form me as I've gone along in my career is that when I was 30, I had a couple of guys that were younger than me that said, hey, you seem to have done some things. You're, you're down a path. Will you help me? I had people say, hey, I like your marriage. I like the way you manage your kids. Would you meet with me? And they sort of asked me, and I said, well, I don't think I'm qualified to give advice to anybody. I'm not done with any of those jobs, but I'll tell you what I know, and I'll tell you what I feel like I'm struggling with. And, and just did that over and over. And then professionally, that's the case. And, and really, I mean, all I do is get paid to mentor and have, I mean, that's right. all consulting. And, and I, I still, uh, I, I meet my, if you ask my wife what I do for a living, she would say breakfast and lunch because it's just <laughs> stop right. eating with people. I had lunch today with a, with a guy that I've having the, I've really enjoyed getting to know. And, and we just sort of met somewhere out about town and we meet once a month. And we get lunch and we talk about where he's going with his career, what he's doing in his life and how he's growing. And I think there's, a, I think there's this scarcity of people who are just willing to say, hey, I'll give the time. I'll just give you the time to be there, to walk through life. And I'll be okay with the fact that I'm not going to have the answers. And I'll be okay with the fact that this isn't about giving you direction for how you should do things. I, I, think, I think that if, if we raised our hand and said, how many people here want somebody that they can go to who genuinely cares about their success and well-being in all aspects of their life and who's just willing to partner with them to be there through that? I don't think there's a person in America that wouldn't say, yeah, actually, if there was somebody like that for me, I would take it. And most of us don't have that. I love it. Find somebody to mentor. Well, you've given us plenty of wisdom. 
Randy, I'm going to put in a, a plug. I'm sorry we didn't get to talk too much about one of your books called Roadmap, Roadmap to Remarkable and, and one that's coming up uh, to be released soon, Hidden in Plain Sight. So I'll, we'll put some uh, uh, that in the show notes so people can find those if they're interested in hearing more. But uh, Randy, so thanks so much for sharing your wisdom with us today. Well, thank you, Jeff. I appreciate you having me. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening to this week's The Generous Business Owner Podcast. Uh, please leave us your rating and reviews, share it with a friend, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Generous Business Owner Podcast with Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt. Make sure to follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode. You can find the guest contact information in the show notes. Stay tuned for the next episode.